0: Not sure what sports are provided in Calgary? Sport Calgary Sports Directory will help you find the sport, the sports organizations that are right for you. Visit sportcalgary.ca to learn more. Well, hello there. How how the heck are you? You holding up? You doing good? We're uh, we're turning what now into almost month number three here of uh, the uh, pandemic, the uh, COVID-19 pause, whatever we're calling it. Welcome, welcome, welcome. Glad you could join us. Uh, This is, of course, uh, the original Six Feet Conversation podcast for Sport Calgary. You know who you are. I would be your podcasting pal, Rob Kerr. Uh, And speaking of pals, I think you've jumped in on a good one today. Uh, Hopefully you've already, um, well gone to apple podcasts or spotify and and signed up so this thing just got delivered to you that'd be the best part but if you're finding it you you picked a good one uh full disclosure here as we often do on this program a friend of mine Actually, a a really good friend of mine and a program that I'm actually affiliated with, too. Uh, So much like I am a director for Sport Calgary and and other things, um, I am a volunteer for uh, the superheroes program, the Heroes Hockey program. And we're going to learn more about that with the executive director, Kevin Hodgson, today, who is uh, in our city, based out of our city. Um, and just a really, really humble, good dude. Uh, if you don't know what uh, hero stands for hockey education, reaching out society. So it's kind of spelt a little different. Um, that's a program that's operating all across Canada and in Ireland, uh, that uses hockey as a tool to help kids from disadvantaged backgrounds, uh, succeed in life. So uh, it's a, it's something I believe in something that I think more people need to believe in, but it. It also has the uh, the distinction of launching a pilot project a couple years ago for a program called Superheroes to give kids in Western Canada with cognizant, cogniz- well, with difficulties, uh, like downs or autism, let's go that way, um, a chance to play on ice hockey, which they hadn't had in Western Canada. So Kevin is instrumental in all of that. We sit down, we get into it. Um, it's tough. It's hard right now. Uh, running uh, a non-profit, and we'll get into that. Uh, But we'll also find out what makes him tick. And it's a fun conversation. It really is a fun conversation. By the way, just before we get to that, Sport Calgary is the voice of over 275 sports organizations in the Calgary area. Share your voice and become a Sport Calgary member for free at sportcalgary.ca slash members. Let's spend a little time with my friend yours, Kevin Hodgson. again no agenda dude this is my podcast we will do what i want to do and, and what i want to do is talk to you which seemingly as we get into this i feel like i talk to you more than i talk to any other human being
1: i know i don't know we do have podcasts every day
0: <laughs> we just got to start recording them
1: that's right <laughs>
0: um okay so how you holding up and all of, i mean that's that's been my signature first question to everybody in the podcast. How are you holding up? I think I know how you're holding up, but I'll, ask you, I'll give you the decency of asking you the question.
1: Well, for a guy like me that works from home and, uh, you know, in terms of having, having a couple of kids at home, it's a little different. My kids are older, so there's a lot of people who are doing, having a lot harder time with this than, than I am. I can't complain. So we're doing all right in my house. Yeah,
0: y- yes, but you're also a guy that travels a lot, too. Right. Mm-hmm. Now, this yeah. would be the time that perhaps the travel would, you know, not be as intense. But, you know, this is costing you from visiting and seeing, you know, programs throughout all of Canada.
1: Yeah. Yeah. You know, we've got. Uh, yeah. We're I mean, we're pushing eight hundred and fifty kids across Canada and over 200 volunteers. So you, you get in the routine because we don't have staff. It's it's all based out of out of my house and the, the founder's house. We don't have staff. We do spend a lot of time on the road visiting the programs and visiting volunteers. So it, it has been an adjustment not going and seeing them and especially seeing the kids. I mean, you, you get to know all 850 of these kids by name and by, by face and by story. And and I think one of the challenging things out of everything we've gone through is that each time we would see one of the kids, we'd say, okay, next time when I'm back, I want to see your report card or I want to hear about how you
0: yeah. you
1: talked about that bullying issue or I want to hear about... How things are going and so the kids were counting on seeing us again to continue those conversations it's it's a little bit like a, a week you know not a weekly episode but a monthly episode for me where I get to see the kids every month and we pick up where the last conversation ended and, and we didn't get to continue those and and I think for kids that are really far removed from sport and from mentors that stuff really matters and so not getting to say goodbye to the season and not getting to end those conversations with people they care about is actually that, that's the hard part it's not the getting on missing getting on the ice the next week it's all the stuff that goes with it
0: so the middle of march where was that in terms of the heroes' calendar the superheroes calendar as you look again programs from coast to coast
1: yeah, so we have twenty eight programs across Canada, and I think so March twelfth was the night that hockey Canada sent out the directive um I think by that point we had transitioned eight of our programs to kind of the end of the season. We had done our certificates for the kids, had their wrap up party, done the awards, you know, the things that we do that signify the end of our season. I think eight out of our 28 had wrapped up and the rest of them were waiting to have it. Um, You know, that was on a Thursday night. And I was, I was going back out the following week to to do that in some more cities. So yeah, we, the, the bulk of our kids missed out on that transition, but of course for them, it was, Lots of transitions because their schools were all closing about that time. And then all of the kind of challenges that have, have gone along with that for a lot of our kids. So a lot got piled on some some little boys and girls really quickly, and uh, they had to kind of work their way through it.
0: So just to clarify, and as I introduced you, I, you know, I, I kind of explained the program, but when you say the Hockey Canada edict, it had nothing really to do with heroes. The Hockey Canada edict was shutting down the arenas, right?
1: Yeah, exactly. I, I, I actually remembered I was standing there with some kids and uh, we were about to do the awards and we had actually a couple of, um, you know, Flames jerseys and things like that and lots of excitement and we were talking about next year. And then um, I kind of caught wind from somebody that, uh, that this this edict was coming down that, that hockey the hockey season was ending across Canada that night. And right away I went to thinking about all of these cities and these kids that aren't going to get kind of able to wrap up their program but it it, it it was the closure of the rinks and i think you know from our perspective it's a little bit different because we don't have kids playing on teams playing again in games and those sorts of things um these are kids who waited a real long time to get to play the game they walked past the buildings but never felt like they belonged in them, and now they were having the doors locked on them and you know when you're a 9 10 11 year old kid or when you're a young person living with a intellectual or physical challenge the world is full of places that you're not supposed to go into or you don't feel like you're welcome to go into and one of the things we we try to do with the arenas and all of our programs is make it a safe place for our kids and it's a place where they get to leave a lot of the other challenges in their life behind and and have a team and have a community and all that and for them to have the doors locked means something different than just for a lot of players my season ended but i know there'll be spring hockey or there might be summer hockey or I know I'll have next season to play. Our kids don't know that there's going to be a next season that they get to play in. And there's lots of barriers that get in the way of them playing. And, and I'm sure we'll take time to talk about those, but it was really hard for a lot of them to see the rink get closed because they had waited a real long time for that door to get open for them the first time. So that was, that was hard for us to hear from the kids how that felt to, to, to lose that rink that they've, they've waited so long to get to go inside.
0: If I was some sort of broadcaster, I'd probably progress this in a, in a logical, well laid out format. I'm not going to do that. Um, you brought me to, let let's deal with this one because this is the most important thing for people to understand. What you do and what Heroes does, they have yeah. to understand the vulnerability of the clients that you have, which is a really nasty way of saying the kids. But mm-hmm. you are you are not dealing with the prototypical child in sport are you
1: no i mean the the i guess the three things i would say describe our athletes first of all um these are the kids that are the very furthest away from sport in general whether it's hockey which we do or or any other sport i mean uh, uh, a grant from a great organization like kids sport or flames even strength doesn't do anything to close the gap for our kids in, in lots of cases from a financial perspective Um, if you don't have access to transportation at home or if there's lots of stuff going on in your family home and all that kind of stuff, getting to practice at 8 o'clock on the other side of the city isn't even a possibility. So there's a lot of kids that that sport has left behind because they can't get to the sport. And so we try, those are the kids that we really want to target. Those are the kids that we want to give the opportunity to. So we're, you know, on the hero side, we sort of have two two sides of programming I'm going to talk about over the course of this conversation on the hero side it's really designed to address financial and social barriers so all of our players have a financial barrier to participating in hockey but they also have a range of social barriers so we have lots of players who are brand new to Canada Um, we have lots of players who are are living with caregivers that are not their family we have lots of players who are living in single parent families or blended families. We have lots of players who are living in situations where they're, they're moving from neighborhood to neighborhood. And, you know, if you think in that perspective, you know, when you sign up for hockey, it's geographically based. Well, if you're, if you're bouncing around couch surfing because your family doesn't have stable housing, or if you're living in a family shelter, you don't have a geographic team to attach to. So that's another reason you get left behind. So, so these are all kids that have a whole lot of barriers that are beyond their control and, quite frankly, beyond their parents' control. We have a lot of really amazing families and parents who are doing the very best that they possibly can, and uh, and so we just want to make sure that that the kids who need it the most are the ones that are getting the opportunity. Um, you know, when we when we work with our partner schools, we say to them, you know, give us give us the kids that need this opportunity the most, not the ones that are succeeding in spite of the barriers in their lives, but the the ones whose barriers are preventing them from having success in the homeschool community, and let's give them a shot. And uh, sport can do that, and mentorship that comes from the relationship with the coaches can do that. So that's that's where a lot of our players come from. And then on our newer side, on the superhero side, Mm -hmm. it's players with very real barriers and challenges, but they are rooted in physical and cognitive disabilities and challenges that to date have prevented them from taking part in the traditional hockey structure that we're all familiar with. The best way I can put it is some of these players have been told that they don't belong in the game, but all of them have been made to feel like it because they have this, these ranges of physical and cognitive challenges and the game quite frankly, is not going to, going to adapt to them. So we've got to adapt the game for them. And that's what we aim to do. So, our players across the board are ones that that the, the conventional system just isn't a fit and we have to provide a different way to participate.
0: Is it is it safe to say, Kev, that hockey is hockey's not the most important thing in this? The sport is really just a tool, isn't it?
1: Totally, 100%. I mean, the, the best analogy I could ever come up with is hockey is like the little tiny um halo orange that can fit in the palm of your hand and the everything else is the giant navel orange and that's the stuff that we care about none of our success measurements are hockey based Hmm. Um, you know we'll have players that play with us for 10 years and may not be able to do a backwards crossover who cares that's not what this is about this is this is about providing them a place to come to try something they never thought that they would do be surrounded by a by who care deeply about these kids and want to help them see them grow. And it gives them a place to practice life skills that they need away from the rink, but they get to do it at the rink. So as corny as this may might sound, we say to the kids, it doesn't matter how many times you fall down. It's that you get back up every single time. And if they do that on the ice, then we can teach them to do that off the ice. If they can make good decisions in the dressing room, we can tr- we can translate that into good decision-making outside of the dressing room. So, if we produce a high-level hockey player, it's going to be in spite of us, not because of us, because that's not what our focus is. But when, you know, every, every, every kid who makes it to grade 12 in our program graduates high school, and these are by and large in neighborhoods where the dropout rates are low, for example, yeah. or dropout rates are high. I, my apologies. Um, when we see kids who we meet in grade four or five who don't have any idea what their life is going to look like, you get to accompany them on their first day of university and they're attending medical school or or law school or or meat cutter program at a trade school. It doesn't matter what it is when you get to go with them on that first day and they realize that all that stuff that people said they had in them that that it was for real that's the stuff that matters and you know what from a hockey perspective, if it means they can play beer league with some buddies when they're old like us. great, but none of our success measurements are are hockey-related, and quite frankly, a third of our volunteers don't know how to skate and never go on the ice, but they're there every week at a hockey-based mentorship program changing lives.
0: And and I want to point out, and it's important to point out, that you you mentioned before the the originator, that's Norm Flynn, and Norm's name is going to come up quite a bit. You and Norm are the two full-time staff members. You mentioned there's 28 programs across about 750 kids, right?
1: 840 this year.
0: 840, sorry, 840 kids of which you know every single name, parent, the whole thing. You can walk up to them on the street. Norm can do the same thing. And something you said that I I really want to impress upon people, your playoff victory, your banner at the end of the year, are those um, graduations. And it's not lip service. How many graduations will you and Norm attend in in a year?
1: Well, you know, we actually had a conversation about it. We looked at it and this year had we been able to we were invited to 27 different high school graduations right and and yeah you're right i mean those are the big ones but we also get you know junior high graduations and you know we have to put some of this stuff on the table for for families that are living in multi-barrier neighborhoods and kids who are are part of families where just getting by every day is a real challenge hmm. getting to high school is not a guarantee there we still we still support kids who are the first family members in their families to complete high school. And that doesn't seem like we're at a time in the world where that should be the case, but we still have that. Yeah. And, and again, these are not families who, and parents who are not trying their hardest. These are not families and parents who are not going to work. These are, these are families who just are living in a world with different barriers and different challenges. And, and so they, the kids just need need the support and the people that are around them. And so, sometimes our sometimes our successes is being getting a call from a school saying so and so is you know little johnny is getting the the citizenship award at the assembly for this month and our volunteers go and and celebrate that because that might be the same kid who three weeks ago or sorry three months ago couldn't get through a school day and and some of this transformational stuff happens and so um you know One of our, one of our parents put it best to me one time. They said, everybody's mountain is higher or or is a different height, but when you get to the top, it's still a summit. And it's totally true. And we have to have places where we can celebrate little successes because if, if if a child can experience a little success and it might be learning to do a crossover, it might be learning to solve a problem. It might be going to school every day for five days. If you celebrate that then you can push them harder and you can build to the bigger ones. And every kid that I've, I have gone to a high school graduation for every kid that I've accompanied to their first day of post-secondary vocational training. We've got heroes kids who are married and parenting now, every big success that we've been, we've been able to celebrate. They've been able to detail the first little success that we celebrated. Every one of them remembers that. And that's the fuel. That's the thing that gets them from point A to point B. And that's the stuff that makes the, the multi-year relationship that we get with them go by so quickly, but they, they remember, they know, they know the people that have stood in their corner and sadly for a lot of our kids, they remember that people haven't either. I mean, you know, Mm. they're coming from neighborhoods and backgrounds where people have made promises and, and haven't been able to, to follow through on those. And so they remember those as well. And so we, we try to, we try to celebrate success because success is relative to everybody, you know, and, uh, you know, for some of our players, we have players with autism who the first year we've known them, they're completely nonverbal. And then the next year they come in and they walk up to you and they say, Hi Kevin, how are you? That is the biggest success we're gonna have all year. That that kid was able to make yeah. eye contact, talk to you by name and engage you in a conversation. That's that's just as big as the high performance athlete winning the, you know, the MVP at the Brick tournament in Edmonton. It's the exact same thing. I would argue it's more important.
0: Yeah, And and I'll throw in this, that you are the father, actually, of a high-performance athlete, so you kind of know what you speak of. And you've been exposed to the National Hockey League game, and we'll probably get into that a little later on. But you are an interesting guy to ask a question about hockey parents, because I don't think there's anybody in the game that would run the gamut, the spectrum, Of parents that you run and norm you know interact with in this particular program am i right
1: yeah you know we uh we we get the opportunity to see the very best and the very worst of of hockey and hockey parents and and the whole nine yards and 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 i'll i'll tell you what i mean by that and so using calgary as an example so during the course of the typical regular season, you know, our, our programs are running right after school. So we're the, we're the groups that are in the rink before the organized hockey teams get there. We're there right after school. So three thirty,
0: four o'clock, kind of those non useful times, right?
1: Right. Totally. Yeah. We, we literally pick the kids up in buses, bring them to the rink, run their ice time. And as we're leaving kind of the first minor hockey team is coming. And so, um, during the course of the the typical season, we'll have families coming in and bringing their kids in for hockey and they'll ask what we're about and we tell them a little bit and they, you know, haven't had anybody who who says it's a bad idea what we're doing. Um, And, you know, and then you get phone calls about kids who have seen our practice and instead of, you know, instead of birthday presents, they want money for heroes. And so we get donations we get donations of gear and we get you know, teams asking if they could share the ice with us and lots of really cool things that way. And, uh, but then unfortunately every year at playoff time, we seem to have a really negative interaction with the hockey world. And, and, you know, and that happened again this year, but it kind of happens every year at that time. And, and what, what inevitably is, is, you know, our kids are on the ice at four o'clock and, you know, we have, so, you know, one of our programs we have the ice from three 30 to five 30 and, this year it happened. We four o'clock we're on the ice, and and a team rolls in for their their scheduled six o'clock game or six six fifteen game, and they're sniffing around the dressing rooms, and 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 you know, and I had a couple of parents come to me and ask if our kids could move their stuff out of the dressing room, and I said, well, I don't understand why would, and I knew what they were getting at, but I wanted to give them the opportunity to verbalize, me it. Wrong, yeah, you know. Well, no, I wanted them to prove me wrong that I was. Oh, base. okay,
0: yeah, yeah, yeah,
1: yeah. and uh, and they said, well, you know, our kids have a really important playoff game at six o'clock. They got to get in there and you know get their warm warm up gear on and and start working on their sticks and this kind of stuff. And I said, well, you know, our kids are on the ice and they're going to be on the ice for a while. I'm really sorry. And then the second parent comes and kind of gives me the same, um the same song and dance. Yeah. Yeah. And, and I said, and, but, but kind of says, you don't understand this is, this is a really important ice time for them. This is a very important playoff game. And I said, well, this is these kids last ice time of the season and it's their first inter squad scrimmage ever. It's a pretty important one to them. And I kind of got the rolling eyes and the walk away telling me I didn't get it. And uh, so this kind of, but then conversely, the other team, is starting to show up and and there's no pressure. They don't care. They're not on us or anything. And so this, this kind of continued and, you know, and unfortunately at, at at some of its worst moments, you overhear conversations that are happening. And, and this year, you know, there was a conversation among not all, I don't like to speak in generalities, but some, and, and I heard one of the parents saying, you know, I think it's really great that they let poor kids play hockey, but they shouldn't be playing during playoffs when the real players are here. Yep. and, You know, and you hear that stuff and you go, How are we still, how are we still here? Right. So yeah, so we we, you know, we work through that stuff every year, and it happens in every city, and 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 you know, it's it's those moments where our players are made to feel like they don't belong and this kind of stuff. And so interestingly enough, this, you know, so this went on and and there was a goalie out there, and he had all his goalie stuff on, and one of our players' little brothers had a stick and a tennis ball. It was just shooting against the wall. And this, this goalie on this team said, here, why don't you try and score on me? So we've got this little brother of a, of one of our heroes, who's going to inevitably be a hero himself yep. shooting shoot, his goalie and a coach walks by and says, get in the dressing room. This is a playoff game. Come on, you know better. And so the coach keeps walking. And I said to the kid, I said, Oh, are you playing today? He goes, no, no. My, the other goalie, he got named the starter for the playoffs. And you know, Now I'm telling all this story. We have to recognize this was Adam. So these are nine and 10 year olds. Yeah. So
0: I feel like you're trying to push my buttons is what I feel like, but all right.
1: And so, you know, so then I go down and just where I happen to be sort of, you know, organizing with everybody. um, The other team is there. And, and I just, you know, the other, and one of the coaches on the other team said, you know, what's, what's going on. You have problems with the other team. And I said, well, here's what's going on. They said, really sorry. That's not what minor hockey is supposed to be about and whatever. And, and, uh, so we got talking and it turns out we had some mutual friends or whatever. And and I said to one of the coaches, I said, listen, I kind of caught wind of the fact that hockey Canada is going to, going to pull the pin on the season for the rest of the year. Um, and he says, he says, Oh wow. He says, so this is a semifinal game. Both of us are undefeated so far in the playoffs. I wonder if that'll mean this is, you know, they call this the final. And, uh, and I said, yeah, I wonder how they'll handle that. And all the coaches looked and said, well, should we go tell the kids or should we not? And they said, and one of them said, doesn't matter. Ice cream will solve it. No big deal. We'll go play the game. And, you know, so as it turns out, I, you know, so I, 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 as it turns out, I found out that the team that was really pushing us and was not really excited about our players being there was the team that won it and won that game and ultimately was named the city champion. The team that lost it, you know, and was the runner-up was the, the team that was really supportive of us being there. I would make the argument to you that the the team that lost um, got over pretty quickly. And, and if based on my interactions with those coaches, they probably talked to them about what, why we were there and what our experience was and yeah. what really matters, you know? And so, like I said, you see, you see the great in the game and you see the not so great in the game. And uh, you know, and, and we just try to find a place in between that to be, to be our very best selves for some kids who really, really need it. And, because quite frankly, they couldn't handle the, the high-pressure, high-stakes stuff that gets put on these kids at a young age. It's it's you're when when you're busy surviving, wondering where your next meal is going to come from, or what's going on at home, or what school is going to be like the next mm. day. Whether you're on the city championship team when you're nine years old means nothing at all. Yeah. And you know, and when I look at interactions like that, I feel like it's an opportunity missed because the lesson you can get from sport is so much greater than whether you win that game and whether you've kicked a team of of poor kids out of their dressing room, you know, because your game matters more, you've totally missed the opportunity. And I, and I, I, it it just, it disappoints me when you see that because this game is so great. And i I'm always reminded, so, you know, one of the great gifts through this whole experience for me is I count Willie O'Ree as one of my friends Mm -hmm. and Willie O'Ree is the first black player ever played in the NHL. He's 84 years old. Like there's nothing on paper that should make him and I friends other than this game of hockey and he's a very diplomatic guy and he tells a story about everything and and he said to me one time he said listen the game of hockey doesn't keep people out the game of hockey didn't didn't exclude me from playing the game of hockey doesn't 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 push back on diversity it's only a few people in the game of hockey that do but there's a whole lot of people who aren't like that and worry about the ones that are like the ones that want people in, and I realize that, and I try to remember that all the time. The vast majority of people want our players in it. I can't worry anymore about the people who don't want them in there because there's so many that do, and we'll just keep working with the ones that do.
0: Kind of coming out of that answer, and you talked about the young brother, and something yeah. you said. You inherit the whole family in this case, don't you? Like. You, yeah. you know what i mean like you know a regular team oh we get together we play we go home and that but heroes you really do inherit the family
1: you know the, 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 i get the opportunity to speak at coaches conferences in the summer and and what i say to all these coaches cause of course i'm in there recruiting volunteers what i want is <laughs> the guys that are sort of worn out by the grind of you know the the five days a week hockey practices and i, but I what i say to them imagine you could meet a player at nine or 10 years of age and know that you could coach them for eight more years. And imagine that when you meet those players, you know, the ones that, cause I know, I know so many of these coaches and they come home, and there's always that kid that they're worrying about. And they're going, if I could just spend some time with that kid one-on-one, I know we could do this. You know, this is the environment where we get to do all that. But right. one of the things that I say is as you meet the family, you get to bring, you get to also, coach the younger brothers and sisters or the older brothers and sisters or the cousins. Like, you know, it it really does become in lots of cases, not for all of them, you know, in some of our families' cases, it makes more sense for us to not have the whole family in, you know, try to find the kids different things to do. But in lots of cases, um, you know, if, if you're a, if you're a single parent who's trying to balance work and raise three kids and, and, and get by, if you can have all your kids taking part in an activity together, why wouldn't you? And so, you know, we want to provide those opportunities, but uh, absolutely this becomes a family meeting place. And especially I think with our superheroes, families is one of the things we learned, you know, our kids living with special needs. I mean, it is, it the whole family works together to support that child. And so we've created a whole community and, and, and that's what sports supposed to be about, right. Is, is creating communities and and inclusivity, and inclusivity means excluding the least amount of people. So it, you've got to be bringing all of these people together. It's got to be a place where it's okay. And and we get the advantage that we meet them in grade four, and and they they stay till the end of high school. And and actually, we had the coolest thing that ever happened to me in Calgary was one of our players, first year two thousand and six, was on the ice in grade four, went all the way through the program, graduated high school, started going to university, scheduled his courses, keep volunteering, asked if he could kind of be taught to be, a, to be a volunteer. And his second year in as a volunteer, he looked at me and says, Kev, I really think I could do a better job on the ice than you can. So <laughs> give me your whistle. And it literally went like that. And I said, okay. And he goes, you taught me to advocate for myself. You taught me to say what was on my mind and you taught me to challenge myself. Yeah. So I haven't been on the ice in Calgary since then. And that kid, I say kid, now he's in his, his early 20s. He's about to graduate university. Runs a fantastic ice time for our kids. And he's also somebody from that neighborhood. And he understands what it's like to grow up in that neighborhood. He understands way better than I ever could. And so it, it was my proudest moment to be kicked off the ice. Thank God I've got 27 other programs. I, I can still go on the ice. This one I don't get to anymore. So,
0: Just, if you don't mind, tell me. I love this story. Because not everybody can coach heroes. Not, every, not everybody can coach superheroes. Um, and you had a you had a guy with a pretty good resume that
1: didn't quite get it, right? Yeah. So we opened a program up, actually up in Edmonton in 2007, and we had this guy. And you know, here I say, I, I you know, I'm trying to recruit these old these coaches that have had enough. So this was a guy who had coached midget AAA hockey for a very long time. Um, and was kind of done with that grind. He want he did you know was, didn't want to do the six days a week, and he was struggling with the young athletes. And this was ten years ago. Was struggling with the young athletes of that generation, and felt like this was a good fit for him. So, got on the ice, and he had in his mind a structure. And so he blows the whistle and says, "All right, everybody to the red line." So in his mind, everybody's going to center ice line. Now, we'll discount the fact that none of our players had ever skated before. So it took about eight minutes for them to move around because we hadn't been able to teach him to stand up or skate but he looks at me and he goes these kids don't listen keith like they're all over the ice what are we going to do and i said they listened absolutely brilliantly he goes look at them they're scattered everywhere but every one of them had their feet on a red line <laughs> there was a ringette line there was, there was <laughs> marks there was fake pop circles every single one of those kids was touching red yeah but they, but they weren't touching red in the way he needed them to and he looked at me and goes, This isn't gonna work. I said, I don't think it I don't think it is. You're right. And so he left. And and that's okay. It doesn't doesn't mean he's a bad guy, it just means up. fit with yeah. So Norman and I ran the ice time and and you know, kind of off we went. But you're right, it's not it's not for everybody because it's not a hockey program. It is a mentorship program that is that uses the game of hockey to build the relationship that we need. So a hockey guy, a hardcore hockey guy yeah. that wants hockey stuff to happen. It just might not be the right fit for them, but, but I, having said all of that, I've watched a lot of hardcore hockey guys soften really quickly when they realize there's a chance to do something different with the game that they love because hardcore hockey guys love this game, and they just get to see some different outcomes, and, and they get pretty excited.
0: I would say it's the purest form of the game. That's what I would say. I would say it's the purest form of the game that I've ever been around. It is a game at its soul. It teaches you the most important lessons in life. If you don't need anything more than that, then it's the purest form of the game. And, you know, in in fairness, I do want to give a little bit of love to, you know, Randy Kerr, no relation, uh, who's our head coach of superheroes, uh, is a very uh, well-educated, experienced coach who coaches a high level of hockey, but might be the best coach I've ever seen in this environment.
1: If if we were not a yeah when you talk about a guy like Randy Kerr and the nice part is, is there's guys like that in every city those people yep. are out there yeah but yeah he if if we were a bigger organization that could afford staff he would be the guy I would have teaching every coach that I've got across Canada because he understands the balance between teaching them a skill and empowering them to develop a skill but and then celebrating that mastery like he just I can see why he's brilliant at that. Mm-hmm. 16 level, but I can also you could you could see that he was going to be brilliant from the very first day he stepped on the ice with our superheroes kids. And um, you know, when you talk about the purest form of hockey, like I believe I believed our heroes was, but then we started superheroes. And when you can introduce kids to a game that they've been stuck behind last year and for other people, that they never believe they're gonna get to play, and they get on the ice and you watch a young man with autism who Sensory stuff matters, and he's got to go around and touch every screw on the boards. So a coach goes over and skates with him and teaches him to skate as he's touching every one of the screws on the board. And then you watch another player who needs to go over to the penalty box and understand where the wiring goes for the, for the clock, and you'll have a coach sitting next to him figuring that out. But then what they do is they do a little scavenger hunt around the ice, following the wires. That is, that's actually hockey in its purest sense because you're taking the sport and using it to teach the stuff that the kids are telling you they really want to learn or teach the stuff that the kids are telling you that they really will get the most benefit from because kids vote with their feet and vote with their skates. So for our our special needs players, when they get on the ice, as soon as they hit that ice, they are taking you in the direction of what they want to learn and what they want to grow on that day. And when you can provide 24 kids with a one-on-one coach on the ice and work on the skill that they want to, you know, you've you've done it. You stood there dropping yeah. pucks for an hour, doing face offs for an entire hour. That's I mean, when when a player can decide what skill they want to work on and why and have a coach who's willing to stand there for an hour and teach it to him. That's I mean, that's that's the power of sport at its most simple sense, because that kid, you know, especially if you're a player with special needs, you don't get to make a lot of independent decisions in your life. You got to make an independent decision and work on a skill that you never thought you'd get to. And you feel like a hockey player. That, that matters. That matters deeply.
0: Uh, One last one on, on this topic, and then we'll get into some other things. How important is it that you have a a social worker background?
1: Mm -hmm. Um, You know, I, so yeah, so I, I was looking at it. So I'm 23 years into sort of working in this social service world or helping profession. And So I was, I was 10 years into that career when I started volunteering for heroes and, and a couple of things happened. First of all, I realized that you can do more long, you can provide opportunity for more long lasting change in something like this than you can do in the most clinical, highly prescribed environment. Like I was, I was getting frustrated by managing processes and bureaucracy and, and so much of the helping profession is, the reasons why we can't do stuff, and and this is a place where it's, you know, this is a, an environment where we can do stuff. We try stuff, and if it doesn't work, we don't do it anymore. You know, this COVID thing is a great, uh, a great example. We can't get the players together on the ice anymore. Well, let's try video hangouts. Well, now we're doing seven hours of programming every week for our kids online, and you know, we had people telling us you're not going to engage special needs players online, but we did. Yeah. So so I think that part helps um i think the other part is is really i i think what it is and this is what i say to volunteers all the time i i can't teach a good hockey player or a good hockey coach story to be a good person if they don't have it in them but i can teach a good person to run an ice time mm-hmm. if they've got it in them. so really i mean what we're looking for you know and, and the people we want around our kids are is the is the people with big hearts it's you know it's those you know it's those people when you go over to a friend's house and they've got you know one of their neighbors at their house and you walk home going God that guy's just a nice guy or that guy's just a good person that's what it is because you know my you know we've got our, our volunteer base we've got you know over 200 volunteers across Canada I've got doctors lawyers um, electricians like you name it everything yeah. every possible background very wealthy people people who are who are struggling to get by themselves like you know, people in their 80s, people in their 20s, but they have this common thread between them all, which is they realize if you lead with your genuine self and if you lead with your heart and just believe in the intrinsic value of every person in front of you, mm-hmm. that you can affect change. And and that's what happens. And those are the people that are there. So so I think I think working in, in the helping profession helped me. But at the same time, this is, you know, you talk about hockey in its purest sense. On some level, I feel like this is youth work in its most in its most basic um, sense, because you're, you're you're doing something that the kids want to do, and you want to do it with them, and you're building a relationship as you do it. That's how mentoring relationships get formed. I mean, for you in journalism, you've talked lots about Peter Mar was your mentor. Yeah. Well, yeah. if you had had to do that around an activity that you didn't enjoy, Peter Maher's not your mentor. If you <laughs> have, have had a shared activity you love doing and it have built this mentoring relationship. That's all we're doing. We're taking people who want to engage in something together, When that happens, anything is possible.
0: Having said that, and I've tried to ask this question now four different ways, and you will not bite. So I'm going to come out and say it. Most hockey coaches, most volunteers do not have to talk to teens about suicide, do not have to talk to teens about gang life, do not have to talk to parents about sexual abuse, do not have to be exposed to families breaking down. You do. You do, right. and that's the point that I've been trying to make here is that, uh, you know, from, a, from a, a, a point that I don't think people – and we'll get into the business of heroes in a second, yeah. but I don't think people appreciate. They see heroes hockey, and they go, oh, sticks and pucks, and away we go. Yeah. I would contend, my friend, that you probably deal with more real-life, quote-unquote, issues that would scare the living bejesus out of most of us in one yeah. weekend than we'll have to in a year.
1: So here would be my answer. So first of all, you know, me means we. So you know, the the two hundred volunteers, because the volunteers are the ones that are doing it as much as anybody. But for every reason that Sheldon Kennedy and Theo Flurry, as they've told their story about yep. the challenges they had, for every reason that hockey was a reason that they couldn't ask for help, and for every reason that hockey was a barrier to asking for help, we're the complete flip side. We are everything about our environment is the reason that kids can reach out because they have all of the things that were a barrier for those guys is not a barrier for us. And part of it is because those guys have kind of broken through and and kind of changed the, the conversation, Sure. Yeah. changed the discourse. But, you know, our coaches are not motivating our players through hard and yelling and screaming and getting the players to rally around the fact they – don't like the coach and they're going to be successful in spite of them. And, you know, and they're not doing that. We're going to tear you down to build you back up. Our coaches are just building you up. And if you fall down a little bit, they'll build you back up. And our coaches are looking to inspire the kids based around what they do really well. We never talk about what they don't do well. We we start with what they do well to then figure out a strategy to address what they don't do well. So, so it's a very different environment, but yes, you're right. our, our players are sharing stuff with uh, our volunteer group and with us on an ongoing basis that gives you that constant reminder that this is not a hockey program. And right. when we get on the off the ice, <coughs> we are making sure that, that kids and families have access to the resources that they need as well. We get to do all the stuff that I think hockey coaches, when they encounter a player on their team mm-hmm. that has some stuff going on in their life, they go, man, I wish I could we're the environment where we get to say we can do and we will sort of things. So
0: almost by necessity, in some cases, almost by necessity,
1: almost by necessity. And, and the the cool part is, is you get to check in again next week. The kids are back next week. It's the same kids coming back. You know, they're there every week. We, we get a full season with them for multiple seasons. And so you don't have to fix everything in that one moment. You can chip away at it, you know, Uh, you know, A young person with no self-esteem isn't going to develop it in one session with us, but over years with us, by chipping away a little bit, we're going to be able to do something really impactful that will last for the rest of their lives.
0: Uh, He is Kevin Hodgson from Heroes, our guest. Uh, In light of COVID-19, Sport Calgary has compiled together a directory of webinars and digital events to help you stay connected in the Calgary sport community. Learn more at sportcalgary.ca. Celebrating the 20th anniversary for Heroes, uh, Norm Flynn, whose name has come up a couple of times, or we don't mention. No, we'll mention. <laughs> uh, he is the man with the idea. What, yep. Kevin, how did you find your weighty? I mean, you weren't, were you looking for something like this, or did it find you?
1: It totally found me. So <laughs> let me give you a little context on even where this thing started. So Norm grew up in the north end of Winnipeg, and if anybody's familiar with Winnipeg in the north end, I mean, it is a very – Challenging neighborhood where lots of families are surviving every day to 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 kind of get by, and so um, he was he was one of those kids. There was some barriers in his family, and so he he wasn't introduced to the sport of hockey until he was ten years of age. And um, at around ten years of age, some of the some of the elders in the community, you know, guys who had grown up in that old neighborhood, kind of got a hold of him, gave him some old gear, and said, "You need to start going to the outdoor rinks and playing hockey because if you don't," it's not going to end well for you and so he started playing at age of 10 outdoor rinks in Winnipeg and a couple of years later he got into a league and was playing and by the time he was 16 he left to go live in Tabor and played junior A for the Tabor Golden Suns by 17 he was in the WHL playing against you know this, uh, the Sutter Twins and and Dwayne and all those guys and uh, you know we keep running into players NHL players from that era that played in the WHL remember to you know Larchuk was a teammate, this kind of stuff. So he was not good enough to go pro, but it gave him an opportunity to go to university and play hockey. And this was when the university of Winnipeg still had a hockey program. And so he went and played four years there, got an education and walked out of there and said, someday I'm going to, I'm going to make sure that some kid from the North end of Winnipeg has this opportunity. Right. His life took him to Vancouver and many, many years later in 2000, um, couple of his friends said listen you keep talking about doing this hockey thing it's it's now or never and so they they decided they were going to put together a summer hockey camp for kids in the downtown east side of vancouver which lots of people are familiar with hastings in maine and they talk about you know the skids and all this vancouver however you want to phrase it or label it that's the area that that they went into and the whole intention was just to run a week-long summer camp for kids who couldn't afford a, a hockey camp very similar to what what you've been doing here for years robin Um, and it went great everybody had a great time and then next year they decided they were going to do it again and you know keep in mind this is the year 2000 and so 18 layers of registration before it started wasn't the way things had to happen then so basically it was the kids showed up with their parents and they filled out a quick form and off they went well the same kids showed up and um, they realized that they were doing something for that group of kids and so They At the end of that week, they said, well, we can't just make this be a summer thing. Let's do it all winter. But again, it was a hockey program for kids who couldn't afford to play hockey. And uh, so they ran that just in Vancouver, one group of kids, 32 kids getting together with a few volunteers. And then 2005, they opened a program in Toronto. And then 2006, Norm ended up here in Calgary and I was working in in the human service world. And one of my colleagues, um, she went to a meeting with the school board. And Norm was there presenting this heroes thing that he had done in Vancouver and Toronto. Wanted to bring it to Calgary, and there was all sorts of different social service agencies and school board. Was the, the Calgary school board was there? Everybody and and Norm did his pitch, and everybody goes, "That sounds really great. Let us know when you have it started." So they weren't going to help him get it started, but they sure wanted the spots. Yeah, and, uh
0: yeah. Heard that he said, story no before, haven't we?
1: <laughs> so he said, "No problem. We'll get it figured out." And uh, but my colleague was there and she talked to him a little bit and then she came back to the office she goes listen there was this guy talking about this hockey program it sounds like you really do a lot of amazing stuff for kids i go man that sounds really cool she goes i'm glad you said that i signed you up to volunteer and i said "Oh, Kidoki. and uh i said well i'll only do it if you do and she says well i've never skated before i said well whatever we'll do it together and uh so we just started out volunteering so it so yeah it found me and so I was a volunteer for six years before I went to work for them and and that colleague Nancy who signed me up, just finished her fifteenth year as a volunteer and is kind yeah. of our our lead volunteer in in Forest Lawn in Calgary and she's still there and still still making a huge you know it it's the people like her that do the work every single week and and make the change. and so uh, yeah, so it it totally found me. It wasn't what i was, I wasn't looking for, it, but it, it found me once I once I saw it, I knew that it had the chance to do something special, and I wanted to be a part of it. And so Calgary was the third program at the time. And so since then, it's grown to 28-plus. We do we do the program overseas in Belfast, Northern Ireland. So.
0: And I just want to point out, there are two of you full-time. That has not changed. There was is, when it started, and now there – well, I guess not even then. I mean, it you got added,
1: but um, – yeah. Working at our dining room tables and out of our cars, we have no – no office, no admin, no overhead, none of that
0: stuff. Now, of course, you know, I could offer you a million dollars and you take that, but why don't you leave? Why, I mean, there are easier things to do. There's, uh, your schedule is absolutely freaking insane um, and during the hockey season when it's on. Why, why, what is it about this that keeps you?
1: Um, it's the best job in the world because I get to, you know, during the season in the morning, if I'm at home, I'm at my desk, doing the, doing the stuff that my, you know, using my brain in the sense of, you know, making sure policies are in place and doing the funding requests and sort of, I I joke about sort of, I have my big boy responsibilities. I get to have those big boy responsibilities, but then at two o'clock, my phone starts making noise. And that's, that's the alarm because it's time to go to the rink. And so then, you know, kids start showing up at the rink at three o'clock. And and this really repeats itself in every city because we're after school, but, you see these kids walking in and they've got a smile on their face and they're excited to be there. They want to tell you about things that they've accomplished during the week. They want to tell you about things that they need help with. They want to tell you whatever it is that they want to tell you. Then they go on the ice and they get to just be kids, just like every other kid who plays a sport. All of that other stuff goes away. And I've said that a million times. If you watch a kid who lives scared every day, put on hockey equipment, they're safe for an hour, you know, and, and when I say live scared, I'm not saying all of our kids are being abused at home. Not far from it. But when you're in a when you're in survival mode every day where you don't know where meal's coming from, or you don't know whether school you're gonna get bullied at school, mm-hmm. or if you skip school, if anybody's even gonna notice, they're they're there and they're safe and they can talk to you about things. And and we make sure, you know, and you know, Troy Ward, you and I both know Troy Ward. I mean, like we, we've copied one of the things that Theo said, which is a good hockey coach make sure they have a meaningful interaction every, with every one of the yep. players every time yep. and that's what we do we make sure every player gets a one-on-one conversation with somebody and and you know i just i see too much too much little success that turns into big success and quite frankly you know the volunteers could do this without me i i can't do it without the volunteers but i don't want to not get to see this anymore i don't want to go do something else where i don't get to see this because too much good stuff is happening and there's too much work left to do. And, you know, it's not getting easier for really isolated, vulnerable kids mm. to get into sport and get access to mentors. And so I want to be part of the group and there's, there's, there's people in this city and people in Canada that are doing this kind of work. And, and in North America, quite frankly, we're part of a network of programs and I want to be a part of that because every day, every day is brand new, every day is exciting. And and it it's never gotten to a point where it's not exciting. So I, I,
0: I yeah. I mean, I, I again. There are times I'd like to crawl inside your head and understand because I don't. I, I see some of the stuff, and you tell me some of the things that you have to deal with. And I mean, I, the first you mentioned the camp I did, the first camp I ever did, young David. Uh, you saw me in the hallway sobbing. I wanted to run a camp for hockey. I just wanted to do a hockey camp, and this young kid was trying to poke people with a, a pencil and wasn't listening, and I fell apart, and you built me back up, and. I mean, the, you know, David's a success story to your point. Like it's one of the greatest things in the whole world. Um, yeah. Having said that, I don't get it. Like, I, I don't know how you do it. I, I re- and I'm not pumping your tires. I'll pump it at the end of the show. I just, again, it's so hard, man. Like, like, mm. I mean, oh, okay. Two 840 kids you said, right? Yep. 28 programs plus Northern Ireland. Yeah. How much, how much do you have to raise a year to do that?
1: Our budget last year was
0: $584,000. $584,000. And, of course, 90% of that comes from governments, right? Like, or 95 of that, you know.
1: We like, never got a dollar from government.
0: Why? Like, why do you? Like, how? I don't get it. Like, I'd like to find the gene because I'd like to isolate it and then give it to other people.
1: You know what, Rob? You, you know, you, you've said this and we've heard other people say this. Hockey is for everyone is something that we're aiming for it's not something that we've accomplished correct right correct and we do have a long way to go yeah but but one of you know outside of the kids and all the great experiences i have and the volunteers one of the other things that gives me juice is i feel like we're turning a corner and i mm. i'm going to tell you why okay um so and, you know and you've heard me tell this story to our families ad nauseam so when when superheroes was just an idea so we we stumbled in to discovering that there was nowhere for kids with physical and cognitive challenges to play hockey in Western Canada. Right. And, and it was simply because of a persistent parent who kept following you. And you were a media guy saying, I need your help. Find me the people. Al Stewart,
0: shout out, shout out.
1: (laughs) Absolutely. Without Al Stewart, this doesn't happen because he is the advocate for his son and the squeaky wheel and the squeaky wheel got the grease. He made it happen. Yep. But we discovered, so we weren't looking to find that out. And so, you know, after he walked away, I said to you, "We we we've got a choice here. We either um, we either join the group of people who sit back and complain that nobody's doing this, or we go and do it." And and that's when you decided you're officially a Heroes volunteer. I guess <laughs> we became we became part of that. We, but the you know two weeks later, we're pulling up to Brian Sutter's driveway, and my exposure to members of the Sutter family were all NHL game days yep. when they're at their most intense and that that proverbial Sutter stare that people think of when they think of the Sutters. And and I'm thinking this is the first place I'm going looking for money and acceptance of of these kids with special needs. Like to me, the the Sutters, not the Sutters themselves, but they represented that old school hockey mentality that I, I in my short two weeks of learning about this community, I'd come to understand had left them out and, you know, sat there with Brian Sutter and all we talked about was players that he had played with players that he had coached. And, and but all he talked about was the human being behind the player. Yep. One of it was about whether they were a good player or a bad player. It was about as a teammate, the things that they learned, the things when the buttons he tried to push as a coach, how excited he was to see this guy become a good husband and father and blah, blah, blah. And I'm sitting there going, "This can't be a Sutter." Like what? Like what do you mean? Right? And, and then he said, "I'm in." You know, the Sutter Fund is in. We're going to give you money. Let's get this thing off the ground. I shook his hand, and I said to a million people, "I realized that I was shaking hands with every member of that Sutter family. So every one of them believed in this. But I, we were also making a commitment to every one of them. And then, of course, you know, Chris Sutter is such an integral part yep. of that family. It probably makes sense why they would be behind it. But from there the calgary flames and hockey alberta and you know the nhlpa like all of these things that represent the heart the institution of hockey that i write i incorrectly believed at the time were the ones that were keeping these kids out of the game were the ones that were saying come we want you to be part of this game and and not just not just in that um disingenuous way or not just the well, let's take a special needs kid and put them at the end of a bench, and we'll put them on the ice for one shift in a game that doesn't matter, and we'll create a viral video, and everybody will think we're great. Because that's not inclusion. No, inclusion is 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 finding a way for them to be part of the hockey community. These were the people that were saying, "Let's be part of the hockey community." Right? The Sutter started. The Flames were next. And if I've got the Sutter, you know, in in the Calgary area, if I got the Sutter family and I got the Flames Foundation, it's really easy for everybody else to get on board, right? Yeah. And and so these were the people that were saying this matters and everything that we've ever thrown at groups like that and said, we have a chance to change the conversation. We have a chance to do something different. We have a chance to show why hockey really is for everybody. I've never got a no. I've got a yes, you know? And so I feel like that's why I say we've turned a corner and I feel like the hockey world and, and and you know, not everybody is there yet. We got some work to do. You know, but a lot of a lot of people in that hockey community believe that hockey should be for everyone, and they they want to be part of making it so that that's possible. And so that's the other part that's really exciting for me is is I feel like we finally got the train on the track to get to that destination that is hockey's for everyone. Because you've said it before, you're absolutely right. We're not anywhere near there yet. It's the destination. Yeah, it's it's got to be more than a tagline. It's the destination but there's more and more people looking at that destination and more and more people who want to be a part of making it happen. And uh, so it, we're, we're going to get there one day without a doubt.
0: So I want to ask you something that's uncomfortable. Yeah. Um, w- or, uh, almost 10 years ago, you were kind enough uh, when I was traveling in the NHL to set me up and, and I met some and talked to some really interesting people. And one of them was um, G- uh, Jim Britt in Philadelphia and Snyder hockey and I spent a day with Jim, and and really had my eyes opened. And then talked to, talk to gentlemen with um, hockey's in Harlem, and um, it was interesting. Like it, it was that idea of hockey being used to improve somebody's life. That idea of again, the sport is is really just a tool. Yet I come back, and and I learn more about heroes, and I realize that what was really fan of, fantasyful of me to be down in the States and go, well, wow, that's in Philadelphia in the projects or, you know, in a bad neighborhood. I think there's part of me in, in Canada that said, well, we we don't have that. We We do have that. And here's the uncomfortable question, Kev. Is it difficult to raise money for poor kids when it comes to sport, when it comes to, you know, as opposed to other, Places, I mean, there's only so much charitable money to go around, right? We know that. Uh, you know, is is that fair? Am I being unfair about that statement? Have you found that when you, you again your budget's a half a million dollars a year, which you have to basically come up
1: with that every twelve months, right? One hundred percent, we do. Yeah, yeah. No, it it can be. Um, I think that sometimes, you know, I've I've had people that we've approached about, you know, and and. You know, we, we live on, you know, we get some corporate donations, but we live on a lot of small donors, you know, 500, you know, 500 here, 500 there adds up really quickly, or, you know, $50 from a kid's birthday party adds up every, every dollar matters. Um, But I have had people that we've talked to or approached and who have said, I'd love to, I'd love to help you out, but I just can't get behind people who, who, who can't afford to pay for their kids sport hockey or kids sport. Like, if they would just work harder yeah. or if they if they would just this they would just they could change their life like there's there's poverty is not a choice right poverty is something that happens to people not poverty is not something that people aspire to and so i've 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 yet in in my entire life working in this sector come across somebody who said i had a goal and my goal was to not not have a full stomach and my goal was to sleep under a park bench you know nobody's ever aspired to that right. people end up in those situations right and so so we do run into that and it, it can be a grind it, it has certainly been i i haven't encountered anybody who said to me kids living with disabilities don't deserve to play so i can't give you money for that i can't get behind that mm-hmm. because we, we we don't charge any of our players a single penny to play we never have right and we never will right because they and that includes good.
0: equipment too correct kev
1: Equipment, everything.
0: So you supply, and that's superheroes, heroes. You're part of the program. If you come into the program, you're taken care yeah. of.
1: Yep. Yeah. yeah. And and you've got eight million reasons why you, it's taking you this long to be able to play. We're not going to add one now at this right. point. So um, so yeah. I mean, it's, it's it's a grind, and you know, and right now in in the days of after COVID, mm-hmm. it's going to be even harder, and we know that. Um, but you got, you know, you just kind of keep the faith because you also know that there's enough people out there that get it. It just means our job is is to make sure we go out and find those people. And, and, and then once you get, once you get their financial support, then your job is to be accountable to them. Right. And the way we're accountable is we want them to come see what we're, what their money's being spent on, but we also want them to meet our players that are coming through on the other side, you know, that have been in the program for a little while. And the other way that we're accountable is that we advocate for vulnerable youth. And we, we make sure that we're at the table and we make sure that we are giving voice to the voiceless and those sorts of things. There's, there's lots of ways we can be accountable for that as well.
0: It's just, and and I, I I mean, I don't mean to be militant about it, but I get, you know, both programs are very important for different reasons. And, and, you know, it's funny, the comment you made about, you have never come across anybody that's ever chosen to be hungry. What I have learned just by being exposed to heroes kids is they are ultimately, in many cases, Uh, in the situation they are because of the decisions made by other people i you know Mm the the parents or whoever the system there's lots of people but these kids are are, for the most part are pure right they just need a chance they just need somebody to believe in them they need somebody to ask them how their day is they need somebody to spend a moment with them
1: exactly And, and and i have to take up for our parents i mean very very few instances do we have that the kids are the kids that are living in poverty are living in poverty because of choices their parents have made. It's 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 choices and things that have been done that have influenced what goes on outside of their family unit, um, and it could be something as simple as it's a multi-gen a family that, multi-generationally, has lived in poverty and and so, you know, every generation has grown up and not known any different. Right, and, and so you know, and so they have a perception that there's places that they don't belong right they don't belong i've taken kids on tours of universities and they say this is really cool that rich kids get to come here and i say but you could come here too oh no 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 kids like me we don't we don't belong here yeah those those are messages that they that they have and it doesn't matter how they got there they're very real inside them so we have to undo those right but you know the, the the experience of poverty and the experience for kids that are born with a physical or cognitive challenge are no different in the sense that it's done to them not with them right. for them or as a gift to them. Right. And so we have to we have to see them as the same thing because at the end of the day it's a barrier to participating in the things that will help and it's a reason for them to not be successful. We've really romanticized this notion in the world of the person who achieves success all by themselves. You know, these stories of I had nothing I had nobody and look what I did. The reality is, is nobody that's been successful has done it all by themselves. Yep. Everybody's had somebody. Everybody's needed somebody. Every time an NHL player comes to spend time with our players, I always ask them, who were the people that supported you along the way? Who were your mentors? Who believed in you? Everybody who's achieved any level of success as a human, professionally, as an athlete, however that is, we can all look back at the people who influenced us. The kids that we're working with are at the greatest risk of not ever having the chance to interact with somebody who can positively influence them. So, how can you ever expect them to, and it's not even to achieve goals, how can you expect them to set goals if they don't believe there's any chance that they're ever going to achieve them? Right. And so, we just, we're, it's creating a support network around kids and families that maybe don't have access to one. And there's, you know, and one of the things we, the other things we always talk to our kids about, and this came from Clint Larchuk. Tough guys don't do it by themselves. Tough guys ask for help. Anybody can can kind of seal up within themselves and tell everybody everything's okay and make themselves disappear. Real tough guys, you know, and I'm generalizing and this applies to females and everybody. Yeah. But but a mark of character is saying, I can't do this by myself. I need help. Sometimes we just have to put the help in front of them so they don't have to ask for it. That's all we're doing. Um,
0: I, I will wind up. I'm sure we'll get to the end. But before we do that, tell me a little bit about some of the friends you have. Tell me a little bit about some of the people that have, you know, advocated on your behalf or uh, really that guess the stories that, that kind of get to me or the, you know, and, you, and it doesn't matter. There's NHL players, but there's also, you know, women's university players that just become big friends of the program.
1: Yeah. You know, it's one of the greatest gifts of this job is, has been meeting all sorts of really cool people who get it. And, you know, like I, you know, I mentioned Willie O'Ree before. I mean, you know, I got to go to Willie O'Ree's Hall of Fame induction. It was kind of funny. You, get, I'm getting these texts. People are watching on TV and it's like Larry Robinson, Ken Holland, Kevin Hodgson. Like,
0: you know, <laughs> one one like of these is not like the shit.
1: other. <laughs> yeah, I belong. But you're around these people. But what it also does is when you do that, it gives you the opportunity to talk to these guys as guys. sure. And when they hear what you're doing, it's it's amazing how many of the guys, the players from those eras needed help to be able to play. Or they had the stories of the, you know, my dad was working three jobs and my mom was at home with eight kids. And if it wasn't for mm-hmm. neighbor next door, I never would have got to practice. And these are these are guys that are Hall of Fame athletes who are saying, if it wasn't for my neighbor, Joe, right. driving me, I wouldn't have got there. Yep. You know, or you go, you know, you go to Dublin, Ireland, and you meet, you know, the guy who played Ogie Oglethorpe in Slapshot. Nick Dowd, right? Or, uh, Ned, Ned no, Dowd. Ned Dowd, yeah. yeah. And and hear the story of how that movie came to be and, yeah. and all these sorts of things. And so, yeah, and then, you know, and then we've got, you know, the wh you know, junior players that get involved as junior players and go on to the NHL or NHL players. Like, I have watched more NHL players do more incredible things for these kids and break down the barrier between and to make them feel like we're all, we're all in this together. And uh, that's, what's really, that that's, what's really cool. And, and I'll I'll tell you what, what the, the coolest part about that one is, is we had many years ago in one of our cities that uh, the NHL team, had had a big three young guys that was going to carry them to the promised land. I won't name the city, but, um, (laughs) and we get a call from that NHL team saying, do you want these chosen three to come and visit your kids? Yeah, of course we do. This would be the greatest thing in the world. So on the day of this appearance, the, a whole bunch of staff from that NHL team show up and they're setting up tables and they're saying, okay, every kid will get 16 seconds (laughs) to talk and they get one autograph and let's make sure we move them through quickly. And so you've got kids who live in homes where they don't have the internet. They don't have access to to TSN or Rogers Sportsnet because they don't have TV. And you're saying, these are, these are these amazing people. They don't know who they are. So they're not getting excited about these autographs. Like it didn't mean anything to them, right? And we said we said to ourselves, we will never put ourselves or the our kids in a position like that again. If we're gonna have an NHL player walk into into our rink or spend time with our kids, it's got to be a guy who's gonna be willing to tie skates, put on helmets, you know, all this kind of stuff. So fast forward, you know, first first NHL player that that spent a lot of time around our kids was Jay Bo Meister when he was with the Flames, and he had one condition. Don't tell the team when I'm coming because I don't want it on TV. I just want to come and hang out with the kids. Well, that's music to my ears, yep. right? Yep. So I would just get texts saying, come to the rink. Wouldn't tell anybody. It, you know, after a couple of weeks, it got to the point where, you know, I'm doing whatever I'm doing kids come out and just say, Jay's in the dressing room. He's, he said he'll be right out. He's just going to tie some more skates and then he'll be out. So he'd come in and do all the things our volunteers did. Mm-hmm. Tie skates. Kids would ask him questions he went from being NHL player, Jay Bowmeister to being one of the volunteers named Jay. And, and that's, that's the stuff. That's the stuff that matters. And so when you talk about university players and junior players and retired players, and you know, the flames alumni do a lot of stuff with us here in Calgary, you know, Jamie McCowan walked in with his two Stanley cup rings. And one of our young players took off with them to go show his parents. And Jamie was, Jamie looked like he was cool that I never got a chance to ask him whether he was totally cool. With it. You know, um, these guys understand that they're there to build a relationship yeah. and to be people, not to be hockey guys. And and so I, and I've just watched so many times where people have done stuff like that. You know, we had the incredible opportunity to take a, a bunch of our players. You know, when Garth Brooks was here do his concert, you know. Garth Brooks, every stop on his tours, he does a charitable ende- endeavor. Yep. So our kids were chosen to do that. So our kids are going, you know, we take them on a field trip and it's to a rink they'd never been to before. And that can be tough for our players because it's out of the norm. That's right. Yep. We take them to the rink. The kids are on the ice for an hour and Troy Brower's there and... Christopher, Christopher Stieg. There yeah. And some of the women's national team. And you know, this was a few years ago. and And then kids go into the dressing room we're going to flood the ice and so we got the kids all lined up to go back out on the ice and and i know this is when they're going to meet garth brooks and and sort of the way this worked is i was sworn to secrecy i couldn't tell any of our volunteers or any of our kids what was going on um and uh so we're lining the kids up and there's this guy standing at center ice in jeans running shoes and a baseball (laughs) Baseball cap cap, i know (laughs) and the first thing one of our kids looks at me and says there's a guy on the ice in a baseball cap i said yeah i know i see that Well, Kev, you've always told us no going on the ice without your helmet on. I said, yeah, it's important to be safe. Well, who's going to tell him he's got to get off the ice? And I said, well, why don't you? And he said, okay, well, how would I do that? And we practice how he would do that. So he's not going over and yelling at him. And so that kid's first conversation with Garth Brooks was, excuse me, sir, we're about to come on the ice and we all wear helmets to keep ourselves safe from falling. I wouldn't want you to fall. So I'll need you to either get a helmet or you're going to have to step off the ice. So, now, keep in mind, I've got a whole busload of of kids from our program. About a third of them, them knew who he was. Yeah. And they zeroed in right away. So they're standing there, and they they, they can't actually understand that Garth Brooks is on the ice with them. It doesn't make sense to the process.
0: In fairness, neither did I.
1: <laughs> you were not in on the secret. I was
0: not you? in on the secret, no.
1: Um, a third of our kids had absolutely no clue who Garth Brooks was, so we had to do some internet work after to show them. Yeah. And a third of the kids were pissed off that somebody was standing at center ice and they couldn't have their practice. But, but, you know, kids got together and we ran, you know, and then Garth spoke to them and told them who he was and why he was there and that he wanted them to be successful and that he cared about them and that they mattered and, and told them about when he was, young and wanted to play the guitar and wanted to be a rock and roll star. And people told him it would never happen that his voice was lousy and he wasn't good looking enough. Like he had the whole story. And he said to the kids, there's no reason why you can't achieve whatever you want to, you know? And these kids all went home believing that, that this guy really cared. And then as experienced, he went down and had a meaningful conversation with every one of our volunteers and thanked us for being there. And meanwhile, you got all these volunteers freaking out that they're talking to, Garth Brooks, and you know, and if you think five years ago, if I had said to all these people, hockey will be the reason you meet Garth Brooks and have a meaningful conversation with him, it doesn't make <laughs> sense, right? But but these are the these these are the and when I say level of people, I don't mean because he's on TV and he's famous, but the level of people that want to see kids be successful, it's people who have accomplished stuff, people who have the ability to influence outcomes and thoughts and beliefs in people and and all that kind of stuff. And these guys, at their core, are standing there person-to-person talking to a kid going, I've never met you, but that doesn't mean I don't care about your success. And to prove it, I paid for your ice, and I've got food coming for you, and you've got clothes to take home, and you're going to have a picture, and, 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 you know. And then we take these kids home, and I got all the parents phoning me, saying, my kid said they met Garth Brooks. Like, who did they really meet? And I'm sending them pictures of their kid with (laughs) Garth Brooks, and they can't believe it. I for a lot of our families, Sure, you know, when they hear Garth Brooks is in concert, it's not like uh, you or I who go, yeah, we should get tickets and see if we can go. These are families where Garth Brooks might have well have been playing in Australia because it wasn't on the radar for them to go. And here's their kid hanging out with them at the hockey rink.
0: Stupid part about that, too, was he did two shows that day, if I remember correctly.
1: He he left us, went and did the afternoon show. Yeah. If I'm not mistaken, in his encore, he played a song that you talked to him about and gave, gave you credit for it. And <laughs> yeah, then, I don't know about that, but okay. And then went and did the night show, too. Yeah. it was, It was. It was. He was up in the morning with our kids, and, and he didn't do the come in and wave and go out the back door. He came in and spent real time with our kids.
0: Yeah. Real time. Tell him the Austin Czarnik story.
1: <laughs> All right. So... Austin Austin joined the Flames, um, you know, for his first season, and um, I, oh, it was Curtis Lazar connected us. And so the way it came through was Curtis Curtis Lazar, uh, his his now fiance girlfriend at the time, had developed a relationship with Austin's now wife fiance at the time, and um, she was so Rachel is is Austin's wife name. Rachel was, like a lot of um, the, the better halves of these players that come from other countries, um, be it the U.S. or wherever, they, they can't just come and get a job. And Rachel had gone to school to be a nurse and really wanted to be a nurse and probably is a brilliant nurse. Yeah. But she couldn't work. So she wanted something meaningful to do with her time, and, and so she wanted to volunteer with heroes. And um, she very quickly said, like, Austin wants to be a part of this, but he wants it to be Austin that's a part of it, not Austin Zarnik, the NHL player. And and you know, and when Austin first signed here, I mean, there was lots of excitement about him being here, and there was a lot of expectations on him, and there was a thought that he was going to do a lot. And uh, so, I so he came to the first time he came to visit, and I said to him, "Listen, why don't we just do this? You're just Rachel's boyfriend, Austin, and you're going to come volunteer when you can." He goes, "I love that idea." So he was coming all season, probably well every Thursday that the Flames didn't have a home game or they weren't on the road. He was there, and. He, he would come, he would tie skates, he would do, like, he would wipe tears off of kids that were crying, like, whatever it was. All the dirty work, he was doing it all. And uh, the vast majority of our kids never clued in. There was a couple of kids that clued in, because really, they're diehard Flames fans, they f- clued in who it was, and we kept kind of throwing them off the trail, you know, we're saying, why would... And, and like, Austin, whenever he was there, he would take the jerseys home and wash them, Yep. right? Yep. So I'd say, like why would an NHL player be washing your jerseys? So they go, yeah, you're probably right. He must just look like him. And then there was a game that Austin got clipped with a high stick and he showed up at Heroes the next day. And the kid goes, that's totally him. I watched the game yesterday and he got clipped with a high stick. And and so fortunately it was a couple of our high school kids who are in roles as peer mentors. I said, all right, it's him, but if you blow it for any of the, the younger kids, you know, blah, blah, blah. And they never did. They kept it totally to themselves. I told them that they could go up to Austin and tell them they knew who he was. Anyways, so this continued on for the season. Our, and our equipment gets stored outside in a shed. And when it's really cold out, our stuff freezes. And so I got a picture of Austin one day. Um, he had a bunch of gloves, like an armful of gloves. So imagine if you're holding like 20 watermelons in your arms in a circle. And he's pushing the, the dryer, the hand dryer with his chin warming up gloves for these kids okay but the cool the the important and he stood there for an hour warming up all these kids gloves and skates smiling laughing talking to them the coolest part of that story is that it happened the week after we blew his cover so he had never gone on the ice with the kids and the kids kept saying are you going to come on the ice you're going to come on the ice all the volunteers come on the ice so so he showed up one week with his skates and said okay well he made sure he got every kid on the ice and then he came on the ice and he had two jerseys on, one over the top, one over the top of the other. And he was out skating with the kids, and we, we blew his cover. And we said, you guys have had an NHL player with you all year. You didn't even know it. And again, half of the kids are freaking out because they know who Austin is and who the Flames are. Half of them, it didn't matter because they've never seen a Flames game. And he was just Rachel's boyfriend, right? right, right. And that was his street cred because they loved Rachel, and that was Rachel's boyfriend. But anyways, and he gave away his jerseys as, as awards to kids who had earned them that year. So so he had blown his cover, he was an NHL player, so he had every right now to kind of when I want time. To say every right, yeah. But he could have mailed it in, he sure. could have taken a step back, but the next week he's standing there drawing gloves for kids because they were cold. And he knew that, that that would be something he could do. He stood there for an hour. I put that on Twitter and had, you know, ESPN was picking it up everywhere. I went all over the US. And and what I said in it was it doesn't matter if you're an NHL player on TV or not, you can still Yep. You can still do the dirty work for kids who need some help, and you know that's the kind of guy he is. And you know, and, and Austin continued to be that for us this year. I mean, his season didn't go the way he would have wanted to, and and he he closed out the season and stalked him, but he kept in touch. You know, I'd phone him, and he'd get on the phone with kids and talk to them and all that, and so they built a relationship with him. And and you know that that's a that's a character guy. That that's a guy who would have done the exact same thing for us if if Connor McDavid was looking up to him on the scoring race, Austin still would have done the same thing. And those are the kinds of guys that are around our kids all the time.
0: All right. My last one for you has nothing to do with anything we've been talking about. It's the question I ask all of my guests. I will not put parameters on it. You can add it, answer it any way you like. Kevin Hodgson, give me your hidden Calgary gem.
1: Oh, well... Gonna tip I'm gonna tip my bias here a little bit because I think we actually, you know, in my mind, the gem, the gem is we we've lost the gem, and that was the the sliding track at mm. COP. Okay. And I'm gonna tell you why I said that. You know, you referenced at the start of this thing that I have a child who's an athlete. Yep. Um my daughter um took up the sport illusion. She was 10 years old. I know you had Grace Defoe on one of your podcasts yep. a while ago. Um, you know, um my daughter took up my, my daughter tried a lot of different sports and didn't find the one that was the right one for her um, until she was 10. And that was luge. And she continues that she's 20 years old and is on the national team now and uh, has some dreams that include the Olympics and stuff like that. Um, she, she wasn't, she wasn't and isn't a kid that, um, you know, soccer or hockey was going to work for her, you know, that sort of thing. She's a cerebral kid. She's a thinker and and she needed a different kind of sport that could that you could, you could be, you could learn to be an athlete, but you had all these other attributes that mm-hmm. that were going to allow you to to be drawn to that sport, and and that was that for her. But the other part, when you talk about sport being a community, um, she always trained after school and whatever, and so she's got a younger brother who's four years younger, and we had a lot of family dinners sitting beside that track in the middle of winter when it's minus thirty, sure. and we spent as a family we spent a lot of time there, and it has a lot of positive memories for us and it, it absolutely. And, and, I, you know, I don't want to get into the political side and the, yeah. all the parts around the Olympics and all that, but you know, it, it guts me to to pull into wind sport and see that thing turning into a planter um, because a lot, a lot, you know, whether, whether it's like a hockey rink, you know, that produces hockey players that play in the NHL or whatever, whatever it is, wherever sport dreams start and can be nourished, we have to nurture. And it's, it's sad when you lose that because, you know, there's, there's a lot of athletes and and be it kids or adults who participate in these non-conventional sports, whether, you know, and I don't want to offend anybody by labeling their sport non-conventional or whatever, but I'll just say luge is a non-conventional sport, mm-hmm. but there's a lot of people who take part and, and it's a non-conventional sports in lots of ways that you can do for a long time, Yeah, right? Your whole life. Um, we we miss out when we lose those and and places like that were a gem and it guts me to see when when windsport made the choice that they did and to see that go away because a lot of a lot of families chapters closed when they when that place closed too and and that can never be replaced and uh, you know she's had the opportunity to travel all over the world doing her sport and she goes to germany where her sport is just as big as hockey is yeah you know she she when she's you know when she's sliding in Germany they're watching it like we watch hockey in Canada here and so you see what some of these non-conventional sports can be and so it to me it, it was a it was a a gem that was lost that I hope can be found again but you never know but if if it does I encourage people to or if you're in Whistler go and try those sports because they, they're a whole different skill set and a whole different different thing and uh but it's a great thing too so
0: We uh, barely touched the service. This could have been a five-hour podcast. We'll leave it here. Uh, I've said it to you before. I will say it again. I will profess my uh, undying uh, love for you as a mentor, as my hero. I think what you do is incredible. I I love what Norm invented, and and you guys have carried forth. So um, thank you for what you do, and and thank you for taking care of Calgary kids the way you do.
1: Uh, I'm I'm proud that the most... Kids across our programs in Canada are here in Calgary. We have 170 of our 840. Um, Calgary is our, if Winnipeg's our inspirational home base, Calgary is our energy home base. And uh, so we're proud to be part of the Calgary sport community as well. So thanks for the time, Robbie.
0: I, I have just so much time and respect for what Kevin Hodgson does um, with the Heroes Program, and a, a shout out to the originator Norm Flynn out in Vancouver, who is his partner, uh, or Kevin is his partner as the executive director. Um, having said that, they do great work in the community. If uh, if this is something you're interested, in, head on over to their website, Heroes Hockey. And uh, and you can Google that and you can find out more information if you want to volunteer, or get involved. I, I would highly encourage it. Um, it is a, a worthwhile endeavor. And, and to be perfectly honest, we need more of it in sport, not just in hockey, but we need programs like this. Uh, and I would I would point to Edmonton and free footy and, and the work that they're doing up there. Um, it's happening. It's it's happening more often than not, uh, sport as a tool to better a community. And and I really, really think that's a direction we all need to go. Thanks to Kevin. I uh, hope you're enjoying our new three times a week. Uh, we were putting a lot on you, some of those two-hour podcasts, and then you, next day, you know, so. Anyway, we backed it off. Monday, Wednesday, Friday, we're dropping new podcasts, so check that out as well. Always go to sportcalgary.ca and see what's going on there. I I guess I never really give the website enough well, we talk about it, but I never, you know, kind of send you there. Maybe you should check it out after this. Just head on over um, and, and see what's going on there. I'm Rob Kerr. Can't wait to have you back to another original Six Feet Conversation podcast right here at sportcalgary.ca.